This is New Bedford's News Talk Station, the place where the South Coast comes to talk about all the hottest issues locally and beyond. This is WBSM. Call in to have your voice heard at 508-996-0500. Or open up the WBSM app and hit App Chat to text us. Or open line to leave us a voicemail. Let's hear it, South Coast. Welcome back in the third and final hour here on Tuesday. And normally we do it on Monday, but we're going to do it on Tuesday this week. It is time now to turn on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. Like it's been forever since I've been here. It has it's been a few weeks. Well, I think the last time you were here, you were sitting yeah, in this chair. Exactly. So, and you enjoyed yourself when you were here. I, I love the callers at the station. I love talking to them. Uh, even though I have a different point of view of, of many of them, I learned a lot. And um, I think it's good for people from left and right to talk to each other. And I can tell you this, we got a lot of uh, positive messages on app chat and in emails. A lot of people liked hearing you here. So, of course, we're going to have you back. I'll enjoy it. And uh, But, you know, this segment here every week is where we have a chance to really dive into some of the work that you've been doing. And I've been talking this morning about the um, column that you had last week uh, about the school building administration. And this, so explain to people before we get into the ins and outs of exactly what's going on, what this organization is and what it is tasked with doing. Okay, I'll give, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. The Massachusetts School Building Authority is a state agency that gives cities and towns about 80% of the money, although some people argue it's much less, but ostensibly 80% of the money to build new schools. And it is needed because schools are very expensive now to rebuild. We have two groups of schools across the state that need to be rebuilt, basically ones that were built 100 years ago, of which New Bedford has as many of them as anybody in the state. And schools that were built 50 years ago, which a lot of the suburbs have, and New Bedford has some too. So my column was about how a lot of the suburbs have been building these schools to replace 50-year-old schools, while New Bedford has seven, actually nine, if you count the alternative schools, uh, nine buildings that are over 100 years old where they're educating students, and they can't afford to replace them. And now the School Building Authority has eliminated their what's called the Accelerated Repair Program, so they can't even repair them. Meanwhile, you have a, uh, an uh, almost $100 million school, uh, middle, middle high school built in Westport, new school built in Plymouth South, new school built in Newton North, which was one of the five most expensive high schools built in America over the last 20 years. And New Bedford got rejected last year for our elementary school to replace the Jairus Swift and um, Charles Ashley schools to combine them into one school. Uh, it does have one school um, in the south end, the DeVallis and Congdon school that's going to be replaced. But uh, the interim superintendent, soon to be interim superintendent, Andrew O'Leary, took myself and a videographer, Ellie Bianchi, that we have at the light on a school on a tour of the Mount um, Pleasant School. I still call it the Mount Pleasant School. It's really the Carlos Pacheco School. And I was just astonished at the conditions there. Servers that are, are in non-air-conditioned rooms, um, teacher prep areas in the hallway, um, 
uh, an auditorium that is no longer an auditorium because it has been subdivided into cubicles without roofs where the teachers do their class prep where you can hear them all talking at the same time. Uh, a cafeteria that is not even a cafeteria. You know, all the all the schools, all the um, hundred-year-old schools have to have the, the um, hot food um, brought in. And you can imagine how appetizing it is by the time it gets there. Um, it, it's, it's just really not... Um, an adequate facility, but because oftentimes these hundred these um, older communities like New Bedford, Fall River, Brockton, Lawrence, Lowell, um, the, the, the proposition two and a half overrides don't pass, or the city council concerned about property taxes doesn't approve them, and so even in New Bedford we've done better on that, but a lot of these schools don't get built, and while the suburban schools do get built. And Andrew O'Leary explained to me that in 2016, the MSBA, the Mass School Building Authority, did a survey as to which community had the worst schools, most the most number of inadequate schools in the state. And guess who was number one? I'm going to guess New Bedford. It's New Bedford with 67% of its buildings inadequate. The next highest was um, Holyoke with 48%, and then Worcester was 45%. So meanwhile, we're, we're building these schools in suburban communities that are, are, are more affluent, and they're getting the same 80% reimbursement, which has actually, um, in Andrew's opinion, declined, and a lot of other people's opinion, declined to around 40% reimbursement because they don't think, they don't cover things like, that are required, like Americans for Disabilities Act ramps and elevators and expensive things like that. They don't cover all kinds of things that the, the state mandates, but it doesn't it doesn't pay for. So when you actually come down to, the, and, and they haven't increased their reimbursement rates to keep up with inflation. So when you ca- come right down to it, they're reimbursing at about 40% rather than 80%. Well, the suburbs can afford that reimbursement rate much more easily than, than the urban centers can. And it, it's just, it's just um, uh, to me, outrageous that we're replacing 50-year-old buildings in the suburbs, but not 100-year-old buildings in the in the urban centers. But the reason for that is that those suburban towns can raise the 20% that they need to in order to, you know, finish off the rest of the funding needed. Yeah, yes, 20% or more. It, 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 so what the MSBA says is, well, we're, we're approving urban districts. They just can't afford to go forward in a lot of cases. But they're using a formula that equates, you know, the 50-year-old buildings in their need with the 100-year-old buildings. To my mind, you ought to be replacing all the 100-year-old buildings first. You know, that don't have uh, electricity. I mean, in my story, you, you read about how the uh, tech uh, uh, teacher at um, Pacheco can only use three computers on one side of her room because the other three sides don't have adequate power. Uh, I mean, so y- you're talking about schools that are really much, m- much more challenged than the other schools that are being replaced. And so I, I, I just don't get it. And in, in communities that are less able to do it, so I, I, I talk to the delegation members. They are um, the three that live in the city: Montigny, Cabral, and Hendricks. Um, they all said that the formula needs to be changed. Whether they have enough juice, you know, in the state house to get that done, is another question. Um, the governor has committed to putting more money into the MSBA, and Senator Montigny has proposed a bill that would put some more money in. Tony Cabral is on board. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. But I, I just think it's an outrage. Have they, have they given you any idea of what that formula could be, what it could look like? 
Well, it all depends on how much money they want to devote to it, like anything else. Um, you know, I mean, you know, since the APA money is for one-time building purposes, you could have argued that they should have just taken all their APA money and, and built whatever schools they could afford or repaired whatever schools or upgraded whatever schools they could afford to do. But um, I, don't, I don't think that would take you through nine schools um, as you have, you know, the... the um, and then, then you've got to listen to the people whose school didn't get yeah. you know, replaced. And when I say nine schools, you have the seven elementaries and then you have the... Um, uh, alternative high school for kids who um, uh, are at risk. That, that's in the old high school on County Street. And then you have kids who are special needs kids in the old Oak High School, um, one of the buildings over there. So, you know, I mean, these buildings are all vintage buildings. They're great buildings. They're just not really up to 21st century school standards. Well, and as you wrote about in the column, even in, in a perfect world, you'd even want to replace the high school and have a new... I mean, look at the brand new Durfee High School. It's beautiful. Imagine having a facility like that in New Bedford okay, for New so Bedford students. The old Durfee was built at the same time as the present New Bedford. You know, the old Newton High School was built at the same time as the present New Bedford High School. Nobody is even talking about replacing New Bedford High School the way they are in these other communities because... We still haven't replaced our 100-year-old elementary schools, which is what Andrew was referring to when he says that 67% of the schools in New, in New Bedford were deemed inadequate. Um, Could there be maybe, I mean, this is just spitballing ideas, but maybe the formula is you in these more affluent towns, they don't get 80% of the funding. They get a smaller percentage and then New Bedford can get more of the funding. Don't hold your breath for the suburban legislators to vote for that. What has changed in the last 50 years is that it used to be that the urban centers had all the population in New Bedford and they governed the, 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 the state legislation no more. Now the numbers are in the Boston suburbs. That's where most of the people in the state live. And those people are voting for formulas that will help the suburbs, not the cities. Everything has changed. And, and I will say that, um, and I brought this out in my article, um, the decision to build the Keith Middle School on a PCB dump really, really hurt New Bedford. We've all read about how they lost two elementary schools that they that, that Kalis had planned to build under the old school building authority, which was much more generous. It did 90%, and it was a real 90%. They lost two elementary schools that would have replaced four elementary schools. So instead of having seven to replace now, we would have three to replace now. And so that, that was just a, you know... What happened was Keith ended up costing twice as much as the original projected cost because of all the cleanups that had to be done. And that that doubling of the bill for a big middle school, you know, cost them two elementary schools. A caller this morning brought up a point where, you know, those hundred plus year old buildings are lasting more than the schools that were built 50 years ago or even 30 years ago. I was telling the story of, you know, I, I was one of the first classes to go to New Bedford High School, not New Bedford, Wareham High School, and it was a new building when I went there. 15 years after I graduated, I'm working for the Standard Times as a sports writer, and I'm writing about rainouts for the volleyball team, that the team that plays inside the gym got rained out because the roof is leaking, and a building that at that point is, you know, 20, 20-something 20 yeah, years old. I mean, it all depends on the building. New Bedford had a 100-year-old building, the Hannigan school where the roof collapsed so 100 year old roofs can collapse too um, some of those buildings were built very well but but they are not equipped for modern education they are not equipped for the kinds of gymnasiums that we need now the kinds of cafeterias the kinds of um, uh, electrical wiring for internet 
you know, they, 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 um, in New Bedford, um, they, at one point they replaced all the windows with these plastic windows, uh, ostensibly partially as a public safety measure. The, the, the old windows were leaking and those windows quickly became opaque. And so you can't even see outside in, in these old elementary schools. In some of the 50-year-old elementary schools, too, although some of those have been replaced, New Bedford did do a lot of replacement of windows in the 50-year-old schools, a lot of upgrading of um, wiring and things like that. They have not done it in the 100-year-old schools because mainly they, they plan to replace you know most of them. And, and it's probably harder, too, and, in those buildings. Yeah, they are great old buildings. You can convert some of them into housing, but... You either have to go through them and really just up, re-outfit them for a modern education. Maybe you keep the old building. Nobody is saying that you can't keep the old building or add on to the old building. But they definitely have to be replaced in the sense that they have to be like rebuilt from soup to nuts in terms of being equipped for, for modern education. I mean, look at, look at a school like Fairhaven High School. You know, they're able to adapt by upgrading where they need to, building that addition, Building the addition in a way where it doesn't, you know, hurt the the visual appeal of the original building, uh, but that's that's a perfect scenario. That's not going to happen in every community. Yeah, and, and that addition to Fairhaven High School is is at least twenty five years old. It was already built when I got here, and uh, you know, I I don't know what it cost then, but to to do that kind of an addition now would cost a lot more. I mean, in keeping with the style of the original school, um, there has been some talk about adding on to the Duval School, which is going to be combined with the Condon out back. But the, the, the problem with that, I'm, I, I understand, is that there is an auto body shop which, whose land they would need to take, and it's contaminated. Yeah. Um, they, they're probably going to have to build it on the old Goodyear site, which also has some environmental um, concerns. The city is, 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 is land poor. You know, I think that if you can add on to those schools the way you did at Fairhaven High School, that's fine. But it's just as expensive. To, to rebuild a school um, with big additions and basically hollowing out the old school for wiring and and everything else. So you're not don't fool yourself by preserving that building that you're saving much money. Like in, you know, you may even be costing more money. Right. Yeah. And and gone are the days of you know passing a prop two and a half override and just p- spending ten million dollars to build a new building. No, you know, New Bedford. Now it's hundred I mean, million. New Bedford can't afford to. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about this later, but New Bedford can't afford to even pay its health care bills and its pension bills. So you know, replacing these 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 schools. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really a crisis, and I, I, I have to say that, um, you know, I, I understand how the suburban legislators have outfoxed the urban legislators, but it doesn't make me feel any better about it. Like, you know, the formula needs to be changed. All right, well, why don't we take our break? We come back, 508-996-0500. We'll talk also about the city council with Jack and some other issues as well, but we'll be back after a few quick messages. And welcome back in. We are turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light, uh, who is just sharing with us information from his very well-researched and well-reported column on (laughs) these schools. Uh, We'll talk more about that as well and some other things, but coming up, we're going to be going into the newsroom with Kate Robinson. Before we do that, so today's Tuesday. I'm sure a lot of you are waking up. You're hungry. You're thinking to yourself, I got to go out and get myself some breakfast. Well, let me suggest that you go to Just Another Phoenix in North Dartmouth because not only will you find all of your breakfast favorites, you will find things that you never even thought of with their very special specials menu. They put it out each day with all these different ideas and things like, oh, my favorite, the Boston cream stuffed French toast. 
Uh, they they had the Elvis, which was uh, peanut butter and bananas and bacon. They have different unique omelets, different sandwiches. It's always something that you never would have thought of, but then you try it and you say, wow, this makes sense together. And as I said, though, you can always get your favorites there. If you like something as simple as a cheese roll, you know, Jack, you go to these restaurants, you can get a cheese roll, you can get a linguisa cheese roll. At Just Another Phoenix, they'll stuff that cheese roll with any vegetable or meat that you want them to put in there. That's the kind of stuff they do over there. And today is Tuesday, which means seniors get free coffee with the purchase of their meal. So head on over there. You can either sit in the dining room or you can sit at the counter and talk with the cook and watch as he cooks everything on the grill right in front of you. Or maybe you don't have time to stay. You can call ahead with your order, tell them over the phone what it is that you want, and then you can pull up to their drive-up window and pick it up. You don't even need to get out of the car to enjoy a great breakfast from just another Phoenix restaurant in North Dartmouth. Where is it? It's on Fawns Corner Road. So if you're heading past what used to be the VF outlet, it's now the gym. Just go past that, a little bit past that. On the left-hand side, if you're heading, you know, in that direction, you're heading north, you will see the sign for just another Phoenix. If you get to the sheriff's office, you went too far. But if you go to the just another Phoenix place there, you can pull in plenty of parking and you can loop around to go through the drive through window if that's what you need to do. But you will get a great breakfast at a great price at Just Another Phoenix. Can't recommend it enough. All right. I, I have to say, every time you talk about that Boston cream stuff, French we, toast, it makes me feel like getting in my car and driving uh, over there I'll because you, I, I love Boston cream donuts. Next time we are doing a live show from there, I'll <laughs> tell them it has to be on a Monday so you can come on over and All join right. us and we can have some. And I'll tell and them they have to. definitely have the Boston cream French toast. <laughs> oh, Lisa will make sure they definitely have it on the menu that day. She knows how I feel about it. Kate, we won't be able to get you any. We'll have to send some to Vietnam. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's go into the newsroom now with Kate Robinson and all of the WBSM news. Police in Miami are preparing for former President Trump's arraignment in federal court this afternoon. Police Chief Manuel Morales says they're prepared to handle crowds of up to 50,000 people. This comes as both supporters of the former president and those who oppose him are planning protests outside the federal courthouse. Denver police say nine people are injured after a shooting early this morning. A suspect in custody was also shot. Three of the victims are reportedly in critical condition. The shooting took place about a mile from Ball Arena where the Nuggets beat the Miami Heat last night to win the NBA championship. The Biden administration is defending its decision to initially say news reports of a secret Chinese spy operation in Cuba were inaccurate. Trey Thomas reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters Monday that the information was sensitive at the time of the news reports. We were as forthcoming as we should have been at the time the first stories appeared. He said there's a limit on what can be disclosed about the operation and U.S. counterintelligence operations. I'm Trey Thomas. Authorities in Philadelphia have recovered a body along I-95 where a tanker caught fire Sunday morning, leading to the collapse of an elevated portion of the interstate. Detectives haven't released the victim's identity. Governor Josh Shapiro has since declared an emergency with the goal of accelerating repairs to the heavily traveled roadway. Fed watchers are expecting the Federal Reserve to stop raising interest rates for the first time in 
11 policy meetings following their two-day meeting today and Wednesday. Aaron Rayal reports. While an interest rate pause would be welcomed by many investors, they're also betting that the pause won't last. Markets see a roughly 71% probability of a pause. This is according to the CME FedWatch. In recent speeches, Fed officials have hinted that they could soon skip a rate increase to give themselves time to assess the effects of their changes so far. And investors are betting that Fed officials will hold policy steady at their meeting Tuesday and Wednesday before lifting rates one more time in July. The current inflation rate is just under 5%, but the Fed targets a 2% inflation mandate. Aaron Rayal, NBC News Radio. Illinois governor yesterday signed into law a bill prohibiting libraries in the state from banning books. During the signing ceremony, Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker said, quote, regimes ban books, not democracies. The measure will allow the Illinois Secretary of State's office to deny grant funding to public and school libraries that ban books for, quote, partisan or doctrinal reasons. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is looking for another police commissioner following the abrupt resignation of Keychant Sewell yesterday. Scott Pringle reports. Sewell did not provide a reason for her departure, but reports indicate she was frustrated after being micromanaged and in a power struggle. Mayor Adams thanked and praised her. And when she came in, crime was moving in the wrong direction. Dangerous environment. She turned it around. Sewell also drew praise from the largest police union, the PBA. But Black Lives Matter released a statement saying her appointment was an effort by the mayor to apply a failed way of policing. Scott Pringle, NBC News Radio, New York. The opening bell rings this morning after stocks rallied to start the week on Wall Street. The S&P 500 hit its highest level in 13 months ahead of the Federal Reserve's two-day policy meeting, which is getting underway today. The Nasdaq jumped more than 1.5%, while the Dow climbed about half a percent. Longtime Wheel of Fortune host Pat Sajak is planning to retire next year after more than 40 years on the popular TV game show. He made the announcement in a tweet Monday, saying the upcoming 41st season will be his last. The 76-year-old said it's been a, quote, wonderful ride, adding that he'll have more to say in the coming months. Sajak started on Wheel of Fortune back in 1981 alongside co-host Vanna White. And actor Treat Williams is dead at the age of 71. More from Mark Mayfield. Williams, who was the star of Everwood and Hare, died Monday afternoon in a motorcycle accident. His agent Barry McPherson confirmed the news with People magazine, saying that a car cut him off while Williams was trying to make a turn. He went on to say Williams was an actor's actor. He's been the heart of Hollywood since the late 1970s, and he was really proud of his performance this year. With over 120 credits to his name, Williams' career spanned decades across both TV and movies. I'm Mark Mayfield. In sports, the Red Sox lost to the Colorado Rockies 4-3. Next game tonight at 7-10. Now for your local forecast from ABC6. We're going to stay mostly cloudy for the day today, but we do have some spot showers that could be passing through the area this afternoon. We're reaching a high of 74 degrees. Overnight tonight, we'll get down to 54. And for tomorrow, rain and thunderstorms developing in the afternoon with highs reaching 74. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Skylar Spindler on New Bedford's News Talk Station 1420 WBSM. Right now it is 64 degrees and foggy. I'm Kate Robinson for WBSM News. Stay up to date with WBSM, New Bedford's news talk station. And get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app. Get breaking news alerts. Stream audio. 
Send us text messages and get live traffic and weather updates all on the WBSM app. Download it now from your app store or at WBSM.com. And before we get back into turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light, a reminder that this Wednesday from 530 to 730 at Alianza Restaurant, Mayor John Mitchell will be holding his office hours. So you'll be able to go and talk with the mayor about anything you want, your complaints, something you want to see fixed, something you want to know more information about. You'll be able to meet with the mayor and talk with him during his office hours at Alianza Restaurant, 98 Cove Street in the South End, this Wednesday from 5.30 to 7.30. So, Great Jack, restaurant. you're going to go restaurant. hang out with the mayor and, and have some uh, Alianza? I, I'm not sure I'll go there, but I, I have gone to Alianza in the past, and it's a great restaurant. It really I, is. I highly recommend it. And so we were talking before in 508-996-0500, if anybody wants to call in and chime in, uh, Dan in New Bedford sent in an app chat message saying, it sickens me to listen to people talk about the old buildings. The older schools will last hundreds of years longer than a brand new school. And it sounds good on paper that ripping down an old school and building and, and building a new one is cheaper, but everyone knows it's not. Well, you talked about that. that who, it, who said anything about we're ripping down an old school. We're talking about either upgrading them and adding on additions, or, or you may have to build them in some cases, and maybe you rehab that building for another purpose, like mm-hmm. housing or offices. Nobody said anything about tearing down old schools. I don't know where that person and, gets and that. They're not going to last hundreds of years. Yeah, they, we're yeah. lucky they've lasted 100 yeah. years. Yeah, some of them are built very sturdily. They're just not equipped for, for, for contemporary education. Right. Yeah, no, the buildings are fine. I just mean it's not it's not conducive to education. As you said, you know, you have windows that are yeah. you can't see out of. You have yeah. you can only plug things into one side of the room. I mean, how is that yeah. helping anybody yeah. in, in today's educational yeah. environment? No, it's not. And, and, and it really is a problem that needs to be addressed. And, I, and also, I, I don't understand how someone can actually listen to what we said and 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 then categorize it totally differently. <laughs> you know, Welcome to, to Talk we, Radio. That's what we actually said. Yeah, welcome to talk radio. I've been I've, I've been told by callers what I think, and I'm like, well, that's funny because in my head I'm not thinking that. So I'm glad that you know what I think more than I know what I think. Thanks for clearing that up for me. Uh, so speaking of Mayor Mitchell, uh, this past week the city council took up the 32B, uh, you know, question again. The mayor asking the council to let the city adopt that chapter of Massachusetts state law so that they can get these negotiations between the city employees and the city, the administration, to negotiate how much those employees are paying for their health insurance. And, uh, and it, it went down 9 to 2. They voted 9 to 2 to take no further action. And even the two counselors who voted for further action only wanted to send it to committee for, for them to talk about it to eventually not vote for it anyway. Yeah, I, I have to say, I'll put a little plug in for the New Bedford Light. I thought Arthur Hershaw, one of our reporters, uh, did a great story on this last Friday um, where he you know, talked about the, it being the third time the mayor has proposed this, talked about the fact that health insurance in New Bedford went up $55 million last year, one-tenth of the entire budget. And then you read this story where Councilor Burgo just summarily just. Dis- dis- dispenses with with even talking about the issue says yeah no we're not going to do it decided and done i talked to other counselors who had the same attitude i i just don't it almost seems like they they feel they represent the city employees rather than the city taxpayers that we are you know i mean you could almost say like counselor from ward city employee uh, i i i just don't get it i'm not against city employees i think you know our city employees getting the same kind of benefits that they get in dartmouth or fairhaven 
um, or Fall River. I, I don't think that's giving them a raw deal. Um, the Basically, you have one of the poorest communities in the state, and the city council and the unions arguing that we should have one of the, the most Cadillac health care plans in the state. Now, I think you can devise a plan, as I understand the state opting into the state's plan, that will provide older employees who have more health problems with that first-rate coverage, whereas younger employees can opt for a, a, a less expensive plan who don't have the health problems. Right now, a lot of people don't know it, that New Bedford is a pay-as-you-go. I mean, Blue Cross administers the New Bedford plan, but, but there's, there's not Blue Cross insurance. We are self-insured in New Bedford. That's the kind of thing that very wealthy people do. You know, that, that are self-insured. So this idea that we have to have the best for our city employees, well, we all would want the best that we can afford. But you're asking property taxpayers who don't have as good insurance as these employees to subsidize them to their own detriment. And everybody knows that New Bedford has a far greater property tax problem than the surrounding suburbs who the suburbs have said, we can't afford that. We're going, you know, Fairhaven and Dartmouth. I mean, both more affluent communities than than New Bedford say, we can't afford that. But oh, in New Bedford, we can afford it. Nothing but the best for our city employees. It's just, I I, I have a high, I don't consider myself a right-wing conservative. I, I think I try to be fiscally responsible. But this kind of summarily dispersing with the mayor's proposal and they will bring up the fact that the mayor doesn't have a good personality, he doesn't compromise whoever, who cares is he right on the issue or not and if he's right on the issue why do you not even want to even discuss it? Well, so bring up that number again that you mentioned that Arthur reported is the change from last year to this year Well, I don't don't have it right in front of me but as I remember it from the article it was 55 million and Council President Morad said to me on Friday, I don't know how the budget went up $45 million from where it was last year. Like she expected a level budget for this year from, from last year. She didn't understand where the $45 million increase. Well, there's 55 well, right Con- there. Councilor Morad, you know, uh, is a person who I think understands these issues. And she has consistently taken the position that the city employees get what the city employees want. You know, I will say this about Councilor Morad. She, in the past, at least, she has been willing to at least talk about the health care problem. Some of the councilors, like Councilor Berger, won't even talk about it. Councilor Lima doesn't even seem to want to talk about it. Co- and, and so so I, I, I don't really understand this. We have a, 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 a ticking time bomb in New Bedford that these health care costs, which are self-insured, are unsustainable, and the pension is unsustainable. We are not adequately funding it. And they, they just seem to have their heads in the sand thinking that, no, 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 this would impinge on the, the city union's ability to bargain. No, that they could still bargain. Right now they can go to arbitration. I, I don't, I, I, it really just seems like they want to give the very best health care. They want to retain city employees. I get all that. But they're saying we can afford to do more than the suburbs can, than Fall River can. And I don't get that. And caller, we'll get right to you in one second. But I got to ask you, Jack, is it a conflict of interest for a councilor to vote on this if they are on the city's health care plan? I think it is. You know, I, I think that there are all kinds of conflicts. Um, I think one of the reasons why we can't solve the health care problem in this city and we can't solve the pension problem at the state level is because the people get the, 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 the state reps and the city councilors are eligible for the same benefits. And I, I just don't think they're ever going to. But I, but I think bigger than that is that they view that 
New Bedford is a very low turnout voting community at this point, and they view the city employees as one special interest group that will vote. And so they just, you know, we don't, we don't have a taxpayers association anymore in New Bedford. So they, they, they have made the judgment that, this, especially the at-large councils, I think, have made this judgment. We only have to win one of five positions that if I, you know, am loyal to that core group of people, the city employees, I can get myself reelected and, the, and to be damned the property taxpayers. Let's, uh, let's take this call real quick. Good morning. You were on with Jack Blaine. Hello. Yeah, good morning, Jack. Hi, how are you? You know, yeah, well, hanging in there, you know, still above ground. <laughs> uh, Me too. As far as, uh, you know, the public schools, and uh, quickly on the city, since you brought it up. You know, with, uh, with the cost of everything going up and uh, just the business climate in our city. Uh, many say that it's not friendly to business. And, uh, you know, with business closures and all that, that's another uh, part of the puzzle that needs to be addressed and now with this offshore wind, we may lose, you know, our bread and butter, the fishing industry. Uh, if that goes, we're in trouble. We can't pay our bills as it is. But on the public schools, you know, you were talking about the windows after, you know, over uh, about a year or so, the windows start hazing up and you can't see in or out of the windows. That's just cheap, uh, cheap windows. They put the cheapest windows in and cheap material. Uh, you got particle board and all of that. Rush to get all these buildings done using inferior uh, materials, and then uh, after 10 years or so, you're getting leaks and all of that. But, you know, uh, the city of Cambridge, uh, they get the most local aid out of all the cities and towns in the Commonwealth. How can they get away with it? And when in cities uh, like, uh, like New Bedford, like you've mentioned, uh, get, you know, the short end of the stick. Yeah, so I just want to pick up on something that you said, Carla. Former Mayor Lang, whom I like a lot and respect a lot, has been pushing this argument that the reason that we can't um, uh, uh, afford things is because we don't have enough business, particularly the wind is going to uh, hurt the fishing industry. I, I think it would be irresponsible for New Bedford not to try to get a share of that wind business. The places where wind is located are not places where the fishing industry, the the NSTAR plant, which has been re-geared as a wind uh, turbine area, was always an energy area. The South Terminal, uh, the same thing. So those are not places where the boats have been docked. They have built uh, a, a new place for, for fishing boats on the North Terminal. I mean, do we know how the turbines are going to exist when they're out there and what effect they will have in the fishing industry? No, we don't. But there has been a successful experience in Europe. It's a smaller industry. We're going to see. But I, I just think it's alarmist. New Bedford has a property tax problem because it does not have enough development. And no mayor, Mayor Lang has, was mayor already. Uh, uh, mayor Mitchell hasn't solved it. Mayor Kalis didn't solve it. Mayor Tanney didn't solve it. You know, New Bedford is land poor. The mills have left. It, you know, you almost need a regional government to solve New Bedford's property tax problems. Good luck with getting the suburbs yeah, to Well, Jack, to let join me just that. say, Jack, that uh, there's a lot of nonprofits uh, that could be ponying up on money for, you know... Name them. Uh, name them. If you're going to do that, name them. Well, we've got these, uh, these clinics, these uh, drug treatment clinics. You don't want to have, you don't have drug treatment clinics in a city like New Bedford? We've got six. You don't, you and there's don't, others, nonprofits. I mean, there's too many for me to name on the air. You don't, you well, don't, you don't want to have ahead. drug treatment clinics in a, in a city 
that has well, uh, well if you're going to utilize the fire department the police i think i think those drug treatment clinics the dpw yeah well, those, they should those, those, up. those drug treatment clinics are mainly in very small storefront properties they're not among the biggest taxpayers in the city uh, i, I mean if you want to talk about the whaling museum or the Roach Jones Duff House, or the YMCA, or the Boys and Girls Club, all of which have large properties. I think that those are respected institutions that bring a lot of uh, both business and do a lot of public service that is needed in the city. Those are the big nonprofits. It's not the drug treatment clinics. Well, let me just say we have more nonprofits than we do businesses. And my last comment is if the fishing industry in the city goes, there goes the city. And forget about finding money for Who wants the fishing industry you're not to go? Have money. Who wants the fishing industry to go? We want it to well, stay. Nobody wants it to go. Well, well, the uh, NOAA is trying. It's put so many restrictions. It's not. They're not making it profitable. They're not working uh, or listening to our fishermen. And they, I mean, they basically want to pay them uh, off to sell their boats and and, uh, and, and not have a way of life. Well, I, I, I agree with you on that. that I, I got to hold you both there. With I, no restrictions. Got to hold you both there. I got to take a break. Thank you for the call. Have a good day. Uh, we will be back in just a few moments. And welcome back in. Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. Before I take my final break of the hour, what are you working on this week? So a couple of weeks ago, I did a column on Dias Field, a uh, 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 rather large park at the intersection of Nosset and Mount Pleasant Street in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood that needs an upgrade. The um, Greater New Bedford Youth Baseball League went out of business a couple of years ago. It was kind of like the, the poor sister of the, the New Bedford Youth Baseball Leagues. And um, so I got a lot of good reaction to that. But uh, people asked me if I would look into uh, the history of Dyer's Field. So I've done that and found out some, some fairly interesting things that I'm going to write about this week. I mean, it really is. It's it's a shame that that league closed up, especially because that league was for so many kids that just walked over from the, from the local housing developments. But it it was great for the the years that it was there and having that that rivalry amongst the three leagues. You had the city championship every year where they would play each other in a round robin style tournament. It was a lot of fun, and and it was just it was sad to see the decline of that. Yeah, league. very sad, especially because it it was kind of like the. Um, the, the league that was in the, the, the lowest income neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's surrounded by three housing developments. There are middle class neighborhoods nearby, but a lot of middle class people would, would bring their kids down to SEYA or up to Brooklyn Park um, to the leagues up there. And um, and also, the growth of soccer hurt it because um, I've, I've gone to, on to all the soccer fields this summer in New Bedford, and they're all busier than the, than the baseball leagues. Yeah. And so that, that's where it is. It's going to be a soccer field, but but I think it should be more than that, and there's some interesting history there. Well, looking forward to reading that. Got to take my final break. We'll be right back. And we're just about out of time. Uh, Chris and Marcus will be coming up in just a bit. Later on, Barry Richard. And, of course, we'll have Howie Carr, South Coast Tonight with Jess Machado. Full lineup for you. And we'll have Jack back next week, back on Monday next week. All right. And uh, we'll, schedule. We'll, we'll talk more about your Dias Field. I'm looking forward to finding out more about that and reading the history of it. You can check out all of Jack's work at newbedfordlight.org, and you can follow along there. Also, go check out his chat with Mary Raposa about the parks in the city. Uh, very interesting stuff there as well. Uh, I am done for today. I'm going to go work on a couple of articles, but if you want to read what I have up from yesterday, some pretty interesting stuff. Of course, our bear sighting over the weekend. A bear, Jack, actually crashed a wedding. Uh, I'm sorry, a bridal shower in Carver. Showed up at the backyard bridal shower, took a look at what was going on and said, nope, I'm out of here, and then climbed over a fence. I saw a story in the Boston.